Did you know Circe provides a free magazine titled Forma? Forma contemplates ancient ideas for contemporary people. We are a community of classical educators and thinkers who seek to better understand the great ideas and their influence on contemporary culture. Sign up online to receive this magazine once a year in your mailbox. This year, we also have the pleasure of announcing a new Forma conference called the Forma Symposium, where thinkers in the classical renewal will meet in person to discuss classical education, great ideas, and the future of the classical renewal. What is the Forma Symposium? This is unlike other Circe conferences in that speakers will present peer-reviewed papers, and rather than learning from a few select speakers, all attendees will engage in the work of the symposium by asking questions, presenting ideas, and reviewing each other's work. At our first symposium in January 2024, we'll explore the theme logocentrism. Together we will seek a richer understanding of the logos in its varied forms and the implications of living within a cosmos ordered by the logos himself. At this conference, we have the rare opportunity to engage critically with a text while the author is in the room. Submit a paper in response to D.C. Schindler's book, Retrieving Freedom. If your submission is accepted, you and three others will each give a 10 to 12 minute presentation responding to Dr. Schindler, after which he will be given the opportunity to respond to the panel. This will be a popular panel, so make sure to get your papers in soon. While this conference will be held on Belmont Abbey's campus in North Carolina, Paper submissions are due in mid-October. Go to www.searcyinstitute.com slash events slash forma dash symposium for more details. Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Searcy Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guy, Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm here once again with Christine Perrin for one of our Poets Corners. Christine, thanks for joining me again today. It's a pleasure to be here. We have done several things. Started off on this podcast doing Hopkins, who I know is a favorite of yours. And I think we're diving into another favorite of yours who I've heard you speak about several times. So I'm excited to get into it with you today with Herbert. Do you want to give everyone just a little bit of background on who he is before we jump into this poem? Sure. I've done a talk at Circe before on Herbert. So that might be something worth that I think was recorded, that might be worth re- cross-referencing mm-hmm. in your notes. Um, Definitely. He's a remarkable figure for all of us, really. He was the chief rhetor at Cambridge and uh, had a, a remarkable and, and fascinating education. He was raised in the Westminster School where you know, he would go and every Sunday after church, they would have to write a poem about the sermon in Latin, essentially. So his experience in regard to to poetics and even, you know, the church and scripture language is is just unmatched. Um, Hopkins loved him and read him. And we, we have, you know, strong evidence of that, that they were Hopkins was in dialogue with his work. And, and for me, and I think for most people, it's, almost impossible not to think of these two great English men poets together, even though they're separated by very many years. Um, Herbert lived from 1593 to 1633. And of course, Hopkins lived much later uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He, he went from being the chief rhetoric at Cambridge, a rhetorician to um 
to a parson, a country parish priest uh, in the Anglican Church. And um, this is, you know, something that happened late in his life, but it represented just a real shift in um, his focus, in his audience, you know, um, and he and we understand about him that he had all these levels of diction and um, language and um, ability to speak to so many different kinds of audiences. But increasingly, his primary audience was just the everyday person in the country church. And he really inhabited this role. And, you know, he himself struggled with ill health. Uh, he got married late in life. Uh he lived, you know, he didn't live a whole long time. Um, when he died, he was 43 mm. or 40. I mean, like really young. And so um, so th- a lot of the things that he's struggling with in his poems feel like real labors that he's struggling with in his life. And he has five poems written on the subject of affliction with that title. Mm. Affliction 1, yeah. 2, 3, 4, 5. So we're looking at four today, but this is a theme that he takes up and he's really versed, deeply versed in the Psalms and in the whole notion of, you know, the kind of contradiction of antinomy of our Christian experience and our experience of life. And even just of the, the form of the Psalms. Um, But he, you know, he prayed the Psalms, his whole life and that form you'll you'll see and feel in his poems is that enough or too much or no i think that's good i noticed that we were on number four and i noticed that he there are other things that he has numbered versions of the same title so it's it seems to be something he kind of carried through when he was deep on it on an issue so i'm 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 excited to kind of get into this one with you that's a great observation um do you want to read first this time sure Affliction 4. Broken in pieces all asunder, Lord, hunt me not, a thing forgot. Once a poor creature, now a wonder, a wonder tortured in the space, betwixt this world and that of grace. My thoughts are all a case of knives, wounding my heart with scattered smart. As watering pots give flowers their lives, Nothing their fury can control, while they do wound and prick my soul. All my attendants are at strife, quitting their place unto my face. Nothing performs the task of life. The elements are let loose to fight, and while I live, try out their right. O help, my God, let not their plot kill them and me and also thee, who art my life. Dissolve the knot, as the sun scatters by his light all the rebellions of the night. Then shall those powers which work for grief enter thy pay, and day by day labor thy praise and my relief, with care and courage building me, till I reach heaven, and much more thee. Thank you. Affliction 4 Broken in pieces, all asunder, Lord, hunt me not. A thing forgot, once a poor creature, now a wonder, 
a wonder tortured in the space betwixt this world and that of grace. My thoughts are all a case of knives, wounding my heart with scattered smart, as watering pots give flowers their lives. Nothing their fury can control, while they do wound and prick my soul. All my attendants are at strife, quitting their place unto my face. Nothing performs the task of life. The elements are let loose to fight, and while I live, try out their right. Oh, help, my God, let not their plot kill them and me, and also thee who art my life. Dissolve the knot as the sun scatters by his light all the rebellion of the night. Then shall these powers which work for grief enter thy pay and day by day labor thy praise and my relief with care and courage building me till I reach heaven and much more thee. My thoughts are all a case of knives. Betwixt this world and that of grace. Nothing performs the task of life. Dissolve the knot. Sun scatters. All the rebellions of the night. Let loose to fight. Nothing their fury can control. Those powers which work for grief. Labor thy praise and my relief. Help, my God. Once a poor creature, now a wonder. A thing forgot. Labor thy praise. With care and courage building me. Love that. Um, I think it's, you know, interesting. I, I've, I was, my mind was going to all these things that I've read on affliction mm-hmm. in the last, um, you know, long while and um i was thinking very much about this introduction by donald sheehan which uh is to the psalms of david i was just thinking you can you can definitely hear the echoes this is this sounds like a david davidic psalm so much feels like yes 
Yes. And I love this introduction of his, which is um, written for this book of, of Donald Sheehan's translations. Mm -hmm. um, but in the introduction, he says really some some wonderful things. He he talks about um, the chiasmus of the psalm, and uh, and we could talk about that more. But um, he he talks about David's in the midst of his affliction, his address to God, and um, the kind of in antinomy of human experience. And I really love this, this definition. I'll just read a section. Chiastic patterning at once shapes and is shaped by the experience of antinomy. This term antinomy seems to have been used in classical Roman law to describe the circumstance of every jury trial. One side completely prosecutes while the other side entirely defends. According to all legal assumption, the truth can arise only through such jarring, antinomical interaction. It's a, it is above all else an experience of disjunction, where yes. human discursive rationality breaks helplessly apart in the face of dissonant, harsh realities. Such are the very ground of all biblical experience. The agony of forced exile is at the same moment the way of redemptive joy. The created world is simultaneously good, fallen, and redeemed. Christ is at once divine and human. There's no direct way where human reason alone can reconcile the disjunctive elements in these experiences. And there's no way where any element can be eliminated without radically falsifying the experience. And then he goes on to talk about Psalm 87, where... David's mind is broken, but he, in the midst of that brokenness, he's addressing God as a beloved. Mm -hmm. um, Thy theories have swept through me. Thy terrors have utterly unmade me. And that's kind of like a very long way around to the beginning of this poem where it, it is God who's being addressed, broken in pieces all asunder. Lord, hunt me not. You know, there's this like stop, you know, somehow this affliction, I know you're in it. And I know that you've promised to meet me in it, but I need a break. I'm, I'm right. being broken. Yeah. It's, I mean, just from the, from the very beginning, there's so much to unpack with, with this poem, but it does, it feels that same way that, that same point kind of the, the voices from David's Psalms that you can hear once a poor creature now, a, now a wonder is fascinating. It was a fascinating line just to the very beginning to ponder, you know, he's recognizing his, um, I guess, redeemed state or his, his, his saved state his new being a new creation, uh, going from a poor creature to, to a now a wonder it feels like, but, but that, that new, new creation is still not in in grace right it's not in the state of grace um it's it's stuck here between that's the next part right betwixt this world and that of grace so the the affliction isn't gone from his life uh yeah i i really love that you had pulled this out in our responding to this you know, in the space betwixt this world and that of grace um is just a really interesting thing for a believer to name um 
And I'm not really sure exactly what he means by now a wonder. I can see how you're inferring that he means, you know, once I was saved and now I'm not. But I think it actually might be a wonder of affliction. Like, I think it might be an intensification, Hmm. a descriptor of intensification. I'm not sure. But regardless, what would it mean? What does it mean for us as, you know, children of God to be in a space between this world and that of grace? Like, that seems worth our talking about. It seems almost blasphemous, right? Uh, Like to say we're caught in the, we're getting lost in the cracks between Mm -hmm. the world that we're in and the world of grace that, Mm -hmm. whatever that world of grace is that we're talking about. Right, right. And is it a, is it a, is it a being lost in the cracks? Um, Is it a, is it a, the tension of being pulled in by both things? You know, like we're held, like we're in this tension between the two place spaces. That's also not comfortably pulled tautly like that. <laughs> Cause it has that line before the tortured, you know, a wonder tortured in the space. Yes. And you can see both of right? You can be in the cracks and the crags being tortured almost in, in the darkness between the world of this world and the world of grace, or just being held in suspension between the two. Um, it not so- belonging to either. Right, right. And either of those, either of those images, it, it can be a torturous image. And his wording is precise and yet, and yet open to both those kind of feelings of, of, of affliction, right? Those two different types of affliction. Yeah. And it's, it is full of this antinomy, right? Because uh, this brokenness, this address of God, this asking God not to hunt him. Um, or the speaker being at, you know, asking God not to hunt him. Um, and yet on the other hand, claiming to be a thing for God, how can you be both hunted and forgot? So it really, I mean, if, if you think about the times when you've been um, at your worst, and I mean, I always like to go back to these words and just look them up, even when I know them. You know, it, it, coming from the Latin affligere to cast down, hmm. but this this great distress, grievous distress. And it seems like, you know, this is where the images come in handy, because it seems like when you're in that state of grievous distress, which is not just mental, but often physical, and it's really hard to find any resting place. You know, it's really hard to find any place that isn't just agitated, you know, Mm -hmm. that isn't just continually experiencing unrest and contradiction. Yeah. Um, and you really hear that in this opening address, I think. Yeah. And in fact, that's the, that's maybe one of the similarities, whether the afflictions physical or uh, mental, psychological is that lack of rest, right? When it's physical, there's a discomfort that keeps your body from being able to fall into rest. Um, anybody who's dealt with serious pain of any kind, physical pain of any kind can attest to you. But the same when you're in a mental anguish and your mind yeah. won't, can't quiet itself because it can't find a a place to land on um people if you haven't experienced it yourself i'm sure you know someone who's been kept awake by thoughts they couldn't they couldn't quiet and so that's the sh- one of the shared elements of affliction of no matter what kind of affliction you're dealing with is this plate feeling of unrest 
Yes. And, and to that end, I love the next, I mean, it might be the best line, right? My thoughts are all a case of knives. Oh. I mean, wow. It just gets to you so quickly what he means. Well, yeah, that, yes, that opening line of that stanza and then the way he unpacks it is just, yeah, it, there's so much imagery there that you can feel it again, taking us back to previous conversations with, like you mentioned already, um, Hopkins, they're, they're so, they're so connected, even though over a cross of time, that same yeah. sense of visceral, visceral feeling of what's happening, what it feels like. And just the, um, torturous nature um of stretches of time that you have to endure like that's kind of what you also feel from both of them mm -hmm. is that you have to you're being dipped in a way in something that won't that's just roiling um so my thoughts thoughts are all cases of knives wounding my heart so then there's the 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 affliction from outside but then there's the way in which the self turns that back on the self, mm -hmm. wounding my heart with scattered smart. And here smart is, you know, pain, mm -hmm, something's mm -hmm. smarting. Um, it, but again, it, it's got this feeling of um, chaos, right? Of just chop, 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 chop. I mean, yeah, like yeah, there, yeah. there's no uh, place for reason. You know, there's no resting place. There's no dwelling. It's, there's no place to land. Right. Right. You can't, you can't, it, it, you can't even deal with the pain of, of one stab, one wound, because it's just this, they're just all hitting you like in rapid succession. And so there's just no, there's no even time to react almost. It feels like it's that kind of continuous blows basically. So. And it's interesting too, to look at, I mean, I'd be interested in having you unpack the next image of the watering pots. And then we could look at the rhymes. Yeah, it was such a juxtaposition, right? Because the that image is one of that's life giving. You know, he talks about the watering pots give flowers their lives, and at least the, I don't I don't know what watering pots were like in his time, but in my mind, the one used for flowers have you know like a like a shower head where there's multiple. So the same thing, lots of little stab, stabs, but then in this case, lots of little streams of water bring the life, which is opposite of the knives. It would seem to be taking that from you. It seems like it's coming that way, right? It's coming like this scattered but uh, flow, but instead of something giving life, then not, it's it's turning that back to the knives that nothing can control their fury, that they're just coming in such a rapid succession and in so many places that nothing can stop mm -hmm. it. Um, That's really helpful. And then his and then he moves from the heart to the soul, right? They wound and prick my soul. And so he ties those two things together. Probably a more. Yeah, I like the word prick in light of the watering pots too. Mm. Somehow just those little holes, but how many of them there are that accords nicely with the word prick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's maybe a reduction of the case of knives, but like you say, it's so startling an image because it's one of growing and, and vegetation and nurturing and yet even in a nurturing image it's not nurturing right it's, it's overpowering it's overwhelming and it's chaotic it can't be controlled right interesting here too that we have well also i just want to say that if your if your thoughts have ever been a case of knives you know 
one of the things that happens when your interior is um, has no rest and when the affliction is coming equally from inside as it is from outside, you don't, you don't have anywhere to be, you know, you, you can't, there's no escape from this enemy um, because it's outside and it's inside and you can't, you know, it's like a, like an insect or a bird that can't stop, you know, that can't land anywhere. Um, And so it's interesting to look at the rhymes here too. Um, Knives, lives, heart, smart, control, soul. Uh, And also just the sentences, because there are, I guess we have two sentences Mm -hmm. in that. And it's apt that knives and lives are rhymed with each other, um, that heart and smart, meaning pain, is rhymed with each other, and um, control and soul. And again, just emphasizing this kind of whirl of descent into something that you cannot master. Yeah, and the first sentence opens with the image of the knives and closes with the image of the watering pot. Um, so that's the that's the the whole first sentence. Um, yeah, so both images are in t- included in that first sentence, which which kind of pushes that scattered smart, you know, more connected with the watering pots. Even that that's you, that's what you kind of get with the watering pot as you get out that scattered water, leaving little divots in the dirt, you know, as you kind of sprinkle uh-huh. it around, uh, which is interesting. It is. There's a kind of um, suggestion of being buried as well. You kind of the soul being underground, the soul being mm. uh, underneath and, and not released, not free. And yet, yeah, yet, and then re- yeah, receiving little pricks underneath the ground. Under, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I'm I'm curious how you read. Um, that next that next line all my attendants are at strike i don't know i didn't know what to make of what it's referring to as his his attendants so right i was um i was thinking of it in two two ways and i think probably both are being drawn upon one is just you know the person who attends to another right like a a servant performing Mm -hmm. a service this is a british person (laughs) And, you know, there's a world full of servants and ushers and clerks. and um, But the other is just um, everything that's associated, everything that's consequent or related or concomitant, you know, everything that accompanies. Um, and I think that there's, a, there's, on the one hand, a bit of um, personification going on um, of these, um, you know, all the elements that would attend me mm. or that would um you know almost like servants yeah um, they've they've quit their job they they've stopped you know they're they're gone they've they've put in their notice they've that quit their place unto my face things that might have given him the rest and peace that he's not in quieting the mind yeah help or, yeah. or service you know um and then the other thing is you know all the is a little more abstract, but all the all the kinds of things that might have accompanied me, that might have helped me, you know, and this is less of a personification, but still, 
Mm-hmm. Nothing performs the task of life. Everything is performing a task of death, of chaos, of knives, of brokenness. You know, nothing is whole. Right. Nothing is creating wholeness. Yeah. Um, this loosing of of chaos and of um of strife. And- yeah. Yeah. All elements are let loose to fight to try out their right um just kind of for for themselves yes like every man doing what is good in his right his own eyes a little bit you know personifying a little bit that the structure of this stanza was interesting to me too because it's just one sentence but with two colons in it (laughs) um good point which is uh uncommon at least for me yeah shall we parse that yeah, because it's all my tenants are at are at strife, and then it describes it quitting their place unto my face. So, and then this is what that looks like, right? This is the extenuation of that, right? Of that quitting of that strife. So nothing performs the task of life. The those things, those quitting, is those things aren't doing the task they should be doing to encourage life. And then again, we get this is what that looks like. It's like right. So- yeah, it's like point, sub point, sub sub point, you know, uh, in, a, in an argument almost. It's always extenuating. Yeah. There, there's so much extenuation, whether it's of image or of syntax or of the experience of strife and mm-hmm. broken asunderness, broken in pieces. Um, that is yeah, interesting then, because then uh, nothing performs a task of life. If what that looks like is all the elements are let loose to fight uh, and try and uh, kind of that that's a that's his picture of a the unordered cosmos right like that chaos has been let forth it seems to be calling back again to to biblical imagery of nothing's performing the task I mean he's it's it's in his own, in his own life but it's calling to a larger universal image of when those things aren't uh, ordered toward life then they're they're bringing chaos and pain. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess the ancient peoples all viewed, I didn't know this, but the ancient peoples peoples all viewed um, the normal state of things to be chaos and the kind of, and water, for instance, to be a chaotic image that was tamed um, as a kind of supernatural image. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so we have Noah and um, we have the Red Sea and we have, you know, God is the Christ in the, in the waters. And, but this kind of elemental force um, that, you know, is uh, a sort of norm that you're lost to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that we're often protected from in life and you every now and then run into its force um feel yourself breaking against its shoals i think mm-hmm. and i think this is the voice of someone who understands um that perhaps he's tasted um a reality that's elemental um that's come towards him mm-hmm. um that it, it may be maybe a norm but is is a new norm for him hmm. and um 
I don't know, kind of immediately what what's sort of remarkable about the voice, and I think about Herbert and also about the Psalms and David is and even Hopkins that that they understand there's no partway measure here. You know, like hmm. whatever wherever this is coming from, the only creature that has the capacity to address this in any way is is Christ. Yeah. Lord. Yeah, and there's no you're right, there's no in between, right? There's there's this world and that of grace. The, 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 there's there's one of the other. Um there's no <clears throat> Because they take, because you're right, that goes right into the, his next, the very next thing is, oh, help me, God, right? He, that's, he cries out like the psalmist. Back to that request. And, and it's interesting to look at um, the difference between the first cry and the second. Um, I had referenced chiasmus, and um, mm -hmm. I, I might read a little bit more from this introduction. Mm -hmm. Please. Um, which is, um, In this pattern of chiasmus, uh, the first and final lines of a given biblical passage connect to one another. Then the second line connects to the next to last line. Then the third line connects to the third to last line and so on until an exact midpoint is reached. Um, and then one way that Sheehan summarizes it is uh, what resolves the chapter's whole pattern is the single verse at the midpoint is sort of coming to a kind of stillness at the midpoint that the chiasmus is, that you work from the ends towards the middle to find that point. And I think um, there's something of that in this moment. I mean, it's not precise, but I think this happens a lot in Herbert. Mm -hmm. But at this moment, there's something of that, of that midpoint of stillness which, um, you know, we're still quite in the midst of the chaos. We're still in the midst of the brokenness. Um, but we're at a different place uh, because in the beginning, there's just this almost calling off of God, hunt mm -hmm. me not, a description, you know, broken in pieces, all asunder, hunt me not. And here now there's a kind of cry for help. Oh, help my God. Mm-hmm. Let not their plot kill them and me, and also thee who art my life. So there's this acknowledgement of the source of life again. Right. Naming Christ as life, and also acknowledgement of the possibility of losing um, Christ, right? Losing um, not only the self, um, mm -hmm. but losing thee. Yeah, you're right, and it's interesting that he's he cries out, "Let not their plot kill them, and me, and also thee." Like, let it not destroy any of any of us. Um, and to your point, that that recognition of the psalmist and of Herbert and Hopkins that only only Christ um, is above it is. I, I found the the dissolve the knot just fascinating, right? Like, not untie the knot. Not even cut through the knot, like the like the, the Gordian knot, but just right. dissolve it. Um, and that's a supernatural request, right? That's not a help me figure this out rationally and and you know muddle through it. It's a just dissolve it, <laughs> just remove absolutely. it. Absolutely, yes. I I think that's absolutely crucial to this cry right here because 
there's a sense of unknowing. This is a prayer of unknowing. Um, the first prayer was a prayer of just utterly being dipped in pain and and um, confusion and brokenness. This is a prayer that understands where the source of help is, understands somehow has found the capacity to call for help as opposed to call for release, right? Um, like as in release me, Lord, don't even come near me because I can't even be near you. Um, and, uh, but the unknowing is, I don't even know what to ask for. I can't tell you how to untie this knot. I can't tell you how to, I can't even tell you to untie it. I just have to just say dissolve it because mm-hmm. I know what's needed, but I have utterly no understanding of how to get there. Right. And, but that really seems like progress in this poem, which also shows you the extremity. Mm-hmm. And then he gives us that beautiful um, uh, uh, simile, you know, as the sun scatters by his light, all the rebellions of the night, it, it, the sun dissolves the darkness, right? It, it, it just, it disappears. It, it becomes nothing. The darkness becomes, is ceases to exist. Right. And it happens, uh, you know, day after day, mm-hmm. um, makes me think of a couple of other lines, like Hopkins lines as the black lights as the, as the last lights off the black West went, Oh, morning. Mm. Um, at the Brown Brink, Eastward Springs, you know, there's just this sense of returning to these natural patterns that are woven into our lives, our hearts, our fibers, our minds, as things that happen that we can reach out for um, right. as, I don't know, sureties or rhythms or patterns that are deeply part of us in the midst of um the well, and, chaos of the unknowing. And whether it's his intention or not, it, it caused it caused to me to remember that that the everyday patterns, the, the miraculous is in them, right? Like yes. I can we can say that the light we can even give some scientific explanation about what's we can describe what's happening when the light comes up, but we can't explain why the darkness disappears, right? It's it's um it's gone. It sees it, you're in darkness and then you're not. And it's, it's, it doesn't go somewhere else. It's just gone. And so, um, to me, that's just, it calls us to that, right? Like he's asking for the miraculous and comparing it to something every day that is also miraculous if we stop and think and pay attention to it. Um, that, that's a really fine point that like our perceptions of nature and grace or nature mm-hmm. and nature are kind of being rearranged here um, where um, those categories are not as secure as we might think that nature is itself sustained by supernature. And um, I like also the rhyme scheme in this one. Um, We have plot, not, but then we also have light and night doing very much the same thing um and and me and thee so me and thee you know the speaker and the god are the only sounds that are outside of all the other end sounds of the poem in this stanza which suggest a kind of um intimacy uh and also uh 
I guess you could say a kind of stillness that we're talking about, you know, a kind of midpoint, resting point, coming to rest, um, even though it's not a rest of Psalm 23, it's not a peaceful rest. It's it's a clarity. So say again what you said about the in those in sounds being different than the others. Well, in this in this stanza, four of the end rhymes sound very similar to each other. Mm. Um, because they all end with T. Okay. Spot, not light, night. And then the me and the the referring to God and the speaker are kind of in this intimate other sound pattern, mm-hmm. but there are only two. So there's a real simplification going on, a clarification going on um, that we don't see in the chaos and complexity of the other um, sound patterns in the other stanzas. Hmm. And then we return to those same two, the exact same two to end the poem building me and much more yeah that's a really excellent point and and we return with a very different to a very different place don't we yeah i was as you were beginning to talk about the the chiastic nature of the psalm or biblical and the psalms i was trying to take a look at that and really that first and, and last stanza are very interesting in that way um as you pointed out there's this kind of like leave me alone please at the beginning that first call out but in the end it's it's returning to the to a co-laboring along with what's with the lord with what's, what's what's happening so yes i'd love to look at that um like some of the qualities of this labor mm-hmm. um, that we observe um i love the phrase the powers which work for grief i mean i i believe mm-hmm. that there are powers that work for grief and um I believe that it is enormously you every now and then in your life you catch them, you see them, you see these powers working for grief, and you realize how strong they are and you realize how um unendurable they are. Mm. Um and um there's a beautiful morning prayer. I didn't have a chance to look it up, but it says something like, you know essentially all the strength that I used to give in this direction. Now, Lord, I'm going to give it in this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of feel that in this first part of this stanza, um, these powers which work for grief enter thy pay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a transference of loyalties. Um, right. And, and then what is curious to me is just how much uh, labor is emphasized here. We get the day by day, which really belabors, mm-hmm. you know, the um, the effort and the kind of small deposit towards something. This is not a panacea that we're witnessing here, right? And then um, the laboring praise, uh, and and then the relief seeping in, and then the care and the courage and the building, and then even you know this this till, yeah, you know, there, we get these. Mm-hmm sense of how much of a process it is to come to a place of um being built a, a place of being stable a place of being harbored yeah even even the word choice and the the vowel sound echoes that right you said 
it's pay and day by day and labor and praise. Like it's that yes. repeated a sound through there. And then, and then till to lead that last line, which it's till it's a, it's a, it's a measure of time, right. In, in, in the line, but, yes. but using till instead of until also puts them, puts in mind to till, to tilling the, the, the working of the soil. Right. Yes. So just his the word choice and sounds just echo the the idea that he's pushing through that last stanza. I love your language of pushing through. Mm. Um, I mean, it strikes me that, uh, that, you know, the work of praise, right. The labor, thy praise, uh, you know, this isn't something that I just do and mm-hmm. I'm done with it. You know, mm-hmm. this is something that, um, is a bending in a direction over time with sweat um, and tears. And then coming from that, my relief, um, which you you made mention of the, the sound related to grief. Um, and then also uh, care and courage building me. Um, again, another movement of labor right? Um, it's a building, it's care, it's courage. It's, there's not a singular thing that can happen that will resolve this, that will dissolve this knot. As much as it requires that dissolving, there's still this participation of the speaker that Mm -hmm. he wants so much for us to understand in this stanza. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I I agree. he, He doesn't, uh, and again, you know, obviously, we've done a lot of Hopkins recently, but his 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 poetry is also so participatory. Like that, whatever is whatever he's calling out for and in, as he recognizes uh, God and, and and things beyond himself, it's always participatory. The poet himself is participating, and he's calling us to to participate as well. Yes, and so it it really av- avoids this idea of you know kind of bifurcating like is this god's work or my work that it's so clear here that this is that that supernatural presence and intervention is needed Mm -hmm. and yet that doesn't um forestall the human labor um and also the kind of slow recovery that comes from that labor um which involves um you know, some relief, some building, some waiting, some, you know, and, and even in that last line, till I reach heaven and much more. So it, you know, it's, it's the till reaching heaven and then the reaching thee. Um, and, and it, we understand that what it's saying is it's not so much reaching heaven, it's reaching thee. And yet the way it's laid out syntactically and in language is this Again, extenuating this, um, elongating, uh, enumerating the kind of distances that have to be crossed mm-hmm. um, in order to rest. Um, and I love your observation that me and thee come back again here. Um, and this time, um, we come to a standing place. We come to stillness, you know, in the, in the thee. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. And I, I so appreciate that he says, till I reach heaven, 
and much more the right like reminding us that that the real importance of heaven is is the relationship the presence of god um not just the relief from the from the affliction not just uh the rest mm-hmm. for our labors but the the personal intimate and again the, you like you said the the and the me brings that intimacy in but that's that's what we're longing for looking for that person that intimate presence yes i think it would be easy in a poem about affliction on a theme of affliction for that to get lost partly because you know under affliction one of the things that gets lost is the sense of being cared for right the sense of um being beloved or um protected or you know that there's a kind of blind animal um survival mm-hmm. and a will to just be free of pain um and there's something in this resolution or dissolving that goes on in the course of the poem that reminds us that um that's the thing worth laboring for i mean that's why even at the beginning of the poem the address is to the lord even though it's stop hunting me um and so this is really a, a kind of full um return to the desire for intimacy which really was close to being abandoned as even hope right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hunt me not in this space you know between this world and grace and now just syntactically we're coming back to the me and the thee and that's where we end even the previous point of me and thee was mid stanza and it was in a very provisional place mm-hmm. it was again a calling out let not their plot mm-hmm. them and me and also thee and i think it's interesting because you know how does i mean logically again like you said this is not really reason and affliction are not easy bedfellows um this is not a poem about reason uh because how logically does it make sense that the plot would kill um the lord um mm, right but yet there's also this awareness that we're sort of past that we're sort of past this is not about just theology and doctrine you know this is the the very real possibility of the threat that the god and the beloved and the relationship it could just die. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it I I like that, right? Because we we don't want to fall into uh over even with even with a poet who who spent his life as a minister, um he's not writing a sermon here, right? This isn't a uh, theology or doctrine per se um he's giving us a poem here and that's that's something different and it's important that we 
I think we remember to treat it that way, to, to approach it that way. And so, like you said, it's, it's moving beyond just giving us, um, you know, even, even a, a, a theological argument, it's, it's, it's different than that. It's, um, it's him trying to live into and express just the reality of, of the relationship that he has with, with Christ and, in his current state and what he's laboring and looking forward to um, in his affliction. So that's a really helpful comment in particular about the fact that we can't really, um, this is not a sermon. Um, If you've experienced, and I think every human has experienced some form of affliction, you know that there's no words that anyone can say that are going to restore well-being. Um, it's not something that someone can just sit down and have a good explaining chat with you about. And I think what I love about this poem is that it's so full of fragmentation, of torture, of um, the feeling, the anxious feelings that we have when we're in the midst of this kind of pursuit. And it comes to feel not just like something that has sort of lucklessly happened, but it's almost a pursuit. And, and what I love is that in the space of how many stanzas, one, two, three, four, five stanzas, he credibly helps us to arrive at a place um, where we can envision something else, a building towards something else, a me and a thee. Um, not intact in the sense that nothing has changed, but still abiding as the desire of the heart that the me and the thee be together, um, where we began with a desire for the thee to flee so that we could be apart from the face um, that was pursuing us or that was afflicting us or that was not changing the affliction for us. Uh, and that's just not an intellectual thing. Um, and I think that the knives, the flowers, the haunted space between this world and grace, um, the knots, um, the chaos, hmm. everything quitting. You could imagine Joe saying this poem, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's another good yeah along with david that job it's beyond yeah especially that the beyond reason part um feels like it could be job because that's his story right that they gets all the reasonable answers given to him and refutes them and but in the end he's still faced to face with god and has to reconcile with that yes and i really love um there is a passage by uh Simone Weil mm. um on affliction where she says uh affliction constrained Christ to beg to be spared to seek for consolations from men to believe his father had abandoned him it constrained a just man to cry out against god a just man as perfect as any human nature can be perhaps more if job is less a historical person than the figure of christ Quote, he laughs at the afflictions of the innocents. 
this is not a blasphemy. It is authentic cry, an authentic cry wrenched from anguish. The life of Job from one end to the other is a pure marvel of truth and authenticity. On the subject of affliction, anything that differs from this model is more or less stained with falsehood. Mm. Affliction renders God, God seems, absent for a time, more absent than a dead man, more absent than the light in a completely dark cell. A sort of horror submerges the whole soul. During this absence, there's nothing to love. What is terrible is that in this darkness, when there is nothing to love, if the soul ceases to love, the absence of God becomes definitive. Hmm. The soul must continue to love in the void, or at least want to love, be it even with an infinitesimable heart of itself. Then one day God comes to manifest himself to them and reveals the beauty of the world, like God did in the case of Job. Hmm. But if the soul ceases to love, it falls into something here below, that is nearly equivalent to hell. So I, I think that's kind of what we're witnessing. You know, that's what we're being privileged, invited into of like, okay, here is the, not manual, but here is like fingernail holding on to the dialogue that gets you through the place of chaos and knives and torture and fragmentation and son of being, um, in pieces all asunder mm -hmm. it allows you to keep wanting the intimacy mm. yeah i don't have i don't have much more to add to that i mean it it's just a privilege to be invited into it with the poet you know yeah um, exactly so, and i'm privileged to discuss it with you so um i will send you this link for the affliction document Bay. yeah that'd be great i think that she really gets it and i think if you if you read you know herbert and hopkins mm -hmm. you know they get it too um and I'll, I'll i'll post some of your previous talks on on hopkins i know there's at least one that i can think of off the top of my head uh from the Cersei conferences and then there's one on herbert that herbert that's it, what i meant to say not hopkins it's available. Yeah. yeah yeah and i'll go ahead and link that the the Psalms of David that you read from earlier too. Um, oh, great! Book, Terrific! So. It's an absolutely phenomenal introduction. I have to tell you, I I was try, I try and type these sometimes the, the the resources you're giving me like just into the search bar so I can go back and find links to them later <laughs> as we're going. And when I pulled that one up on the the website that was being sold on, it said also purchased with this title, and it was the it was the Everyman Herbert and the Everyman Hopkins. So, so we're on the right track linking those oh, books that's together. So funny. Yeah. This, these machines have us figured out. It's a, yeah. Some, or at least people are like us and they're seeing the connections and buying the same books. So, yeah. It's really great. Well, Christine, thanks again for, for joining me. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it some more. Me too. I'll see you next week. Okay. Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refresh ourselves at Systems of Learning Dug Long Ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. You can send your comments and questions to podcast at searcyinstitute.org. You can also join the Quiddity conversation on the Searcy Circle at searcy.circle.so. Join us next week for another episode and be sure to check out the other shows on the Searcy Podcast Network. <laughs>